and welcome to the Petra Notes Podcast. My name is Trisha Curtis and I will be your host for this podcast and many others to follow. This is technically the ninth Petra Nerd Podcast. The date is January 20th, 2018. I want to wish everyone a very happy new year. But the previous podcast is number eight. It was called The Great Rebalance and we talked a lot about oil prices and, and being a bull or a bear and the fact that I wasn't quite on the bullish bandwagon. And then, but between that podcast and this one, I was in Oxford and I was interviewed by Jim Henderson with Oxford Institute for Energy Studies at the Rhodes House um, in this very cool ballroom. And we drank, um, we drank ales while we did the podcast. And he interviewed me um, with regards to the paper I wrote on completion design, design changes and U.S. shale productivity gains. So if you haven't read the paper and it's just too long for you, um, please check out that that podcast. It's short and concise, summarized really nicely. Um, it was great to have a, a co-host and sort of go through and, and ask questions. And really, he was hosting, obviously, but he asked me a lot of questions, um, and it was it was quite fun. So, anyways, check that out today. Obviously, there's a lot that's happening in the oil market. There's a number of things that we could talk about. We're going to dive into um, a couple companies and look at their Q3 earnings because Q4 earnings are coming out, and it's nice to have a bit of a recap. And so what we'll discuss is really what, with all this investor skepticism or investor scrutiny um, and sort of renewed skepticism on the industry, what really panned out in these, in the Q3 earning calls in the third quarter, um, what did the operators say and what should we sort of expect to going into the fourth quarter? We're going to talk about CDEV. Um, is the ticker symbol. We're going to talk about Continental Resources, uh, CLR. And these are two companies that are sort of great to talk about in that they have very different um, positions on the market. Both um, Harold Hamm, the CEO of Continental Resources, and Mark Papa, the CEO of Centennial Resource Development, have, have um, pretty outspoken opinions on the macro environment. And I think it's fun and a little interesting to talk about. And they both have very different um they, they have different portfolios. So Continental Resources is primarily in the Bakken, that is their sort of oil baby, but they're also heavily in the stack and scoop um, in the Anadarko Basin. And as you know, as you probably know, Centennial Resource Development is a pure Delaware Basin oil player. So they are in um, that sort of left footprint, as I've talked about, in the Permian Basin, um, and they're doing quite well there. And Continental Resources had a pretty, big, pretty good quarter um, for the Bakken as well. So what was interesting about these companies is not just the things they talked about on the macro, also their micro and their portfolios, which we'll get into some of their individual comments on the earnings in just a second. But it was also that the theme, right? The running theme that we heard in a lot of operator calls, which was this um, this talk about cash flow, um, this emphasis on discipline, um, things like this. Now, we knew and heard, and we talked about this in previous podcasts, that there was going to be sort of this um, this renewed vigor by the investing community um, that was pushing these operators to get to free to be free cash flow positive as soon as possible. Now, I think that that sentiment is, is definitely being driven home now, and it's certainly a focus. But the sky did not fall out in the third quarter because the, the you can't just turn around the bus immediately and become free cash flow positive overnight. So while all of these operators really drove home the idea that we're really glad that the investing community is with us and we want to be free cash flow positive, they one, they weren't free cash flow positive, um, and two, they were still increasing their production growth. I personally am not sold that these operators are just gonna have flat production next year 
um, and be free cash flow positive. I think being free cash flow positive is a, um, it's going to happen and it's looking more like the, the second quarter of, of 2018 for most of these operators. So we're looking at the mid, you know, the halfway point of the year for most of these operators are looking at becoming free cash flow positive. But I don't think production is going to drop off a cliff. And particularly, both Continental Resources and um, Centennial Resource Development talk about growing their production. And if you read through a lot of other calls, that's the same kind of tone that you'll hear. You also hear that they are looking to, um, that they, they talk about cash flow a lot. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about some of these operators are mentioning cash flow over 30 times in the earnings call. Some of these guys mentioned capital discipline a little bit more, a little bit less. Um, both these operators, Continental Resources and Centennial, uh, do not have hedge positions on. So both of them have been able to capture the upside in the rise in crude oil prices, which has been huge. But if we if we um, look at, say, Apache, I mean, their call is very interesting in the third quarter because they really bring everything back to this sort of alpine high play. They talk about selling off assets in Canada and how they have the, the, the money now to really work this alpine high play and how they've sort of had over a year to sort of look at it and develop it um, and really delineate it um, and how it's definitely still part of the Permian Basin. It's it's more gassy. They talk a lot about that that gas production. They talk about their, their Waha differentials against Henry Hub and they talk a lot about their hedging. And they certainly talk about cash flow and capital discipline a lot, a lot in the earnings call. But we got to think about all these operators are in different stages of development, right? So even their individual assets are in different stages. So we cannot expect them, we cannot expect all their assets to just turn turn the corner and be perfect and be cash flow positive. So if we're expecting that, I think we're going to be in for a rude awakening. It's just not going to happen. So the operators that are that are further down the line in this, we can expect that sooner. And particularly Centennial Resource Development, Mark Papa made it very clear um, that they were still growing and they weren't going to be free cash flow positive yet. And that's okay because it's Mark Papa and his stock still goes up. But the rest of these guys really pushed this, this cash flow story, this capital discipline, everything. And even though they weren't free cash flow positive and some of them actually, um, they, they, their free cash flow actually worsened, we did not see their stocks get pummeled. Now, we've seen some interesting things um, in, in January happen with some of these oil stocks. And they, they, I wouldn't say all of them have quite reflected this, this massive bump up in oil prices that we've had. Um, but this doesn't mean that it's, this is all about cash flow. There's a lot of other things at play here. So with that said, we'll, we're going to jump into what's happening with Centennial and Continental a little more deeply. Okay, so real quickly before we get into these companies, let's just talk about what their production profile and hedge positions look like um, looking at our HedgeWare platform. So CLR, Continental Resources, they don't have any oil swaps on, but right now they do have some gas swaps. So they have a pretty sizable gas swap position for um, 363,000 MCF a day at about $3.39. So it's a pretty good gas position, but that's only for the fourth quarter 2017, and then that drops down considerably in the um, Q1 2018, and it doesn't look like they have any past that. In terms of oil production, Continental Resources, they are up quarter over quarter. They're producing 139,000 barrels a day of oil um, as of Q3, and 618,000 MCF a day of gas. So they have about half of that gas that's actually um, that's actually hedged right now. And then that's verse, that's 139,000, that's up from 125,000 barrels a day in the second quarter. But keep in mind that they, uh, they're still declined, they declined pretty considerably during the downturn. So they were, their peak was 146,000 barrels a day, it looked like in the first quarter of 2016. 
Now for their financials on the free cash flow side, it, it did worsen a little bit and that, that coincided with a, a, a increase in CapEx. So capital expenditures were up to 572 million and we saw um, that they were their free cash flow was actually positive in the first quarter of this year and that has continued to worsen. So now it's negative 141 million. If we switch gears and we look at Centennial Resource Development, CDEV, we can see that their crude oil production is 21,000 barrels a day. So keep that in your back pocket as you're thinking about the, the goal of hitting 60,000 barrels per day by 2020. This is, compare this to um, what they were in the fourth quarter of 2016, Centennial was producing about 6,400 barrels of oil per day. So the, that, the growth ramp has been pretty significant. They only have a tiny amount of oil swaps under uh they're only hedged under 2,000 barrels a day, um, and it is around $56 a barrel. In terms of gas production, um, that has been uh, 50, right now they're at 51,000 MCF a day. So it's been kind of a continue and slow ramp um, from Q2 to Q3. We're not seeing anything um, outside of the normal range here. And that does coincide with their comments on being in a in an oilier part of the of the Delaware in the northern portion. On the free cash flow side, it, it did continue to worsen. I guess, again, investors didn't really freak out about this, but this was um, minus 44 million in Q1. Um, that increased to minus 113 million in this past quarter, and then, um, but they did have a slight drop in their capital expenditures on quarter over quarter, and they now stand at 157 million. Okay, so one of the first things you're going to notice in Continental's call is that they actually make a comment about their um, their IPs or their initial production rates. So they say when they reference an IP, they're referring to the 24-hour rate. So I do find that interesting because they talk about their their uh, initial production rates and the performance of their wells quite a bit. And we, we hear a lot of other operators, and Centennial is one of them, that really refers to their 30-day IPs and even sometimes their 60 and often their 90-day IPs. So it gives you a much better sort of breakdown of how that well's performing over a, a one, two, and three month period as opposed to just a 24 hour period. So that's just one comment. But then they also talk about how they're achieving some, some big production gains. Um, and they did this in the downturn with about $10 billion less um, capital expenditures and half as many operated wells um, or completed wells as they had previously expected. So Continental has had some pretty impressive um, production growth. And they also say, so they start out with the Bakken, quote, continues to demonstrate is one of the highest value generating crude oil plays in North America, and it just keeps getting better. This is from Harold Hamm. Um, he talks about the units um, economics are due to optimized completion, high efficient drilling, infrastructure, pipeline buildout, and continued reductions um, in the differential, basically putting this play at clearly at the very top. This, he says, puts them as they are the top producer in the Bakken. He says this, they're the undisputable top producer in the Bakken. And this is really where he gets into talking about the improvement in the past 12 months in the Bakken. So he's not wrong here that when you look at the data and you look at the decline curves, um, the Bakken has performed well, especially in the first half of the year for, for in terms of what that initial production rate and decline curve actually looks like. So we've seen overall um, perform productivity gains in the Bakken. And they talk about, particularly Harold Ham talks about, um, that this is this has surprised many in the industry, um, and the improvement in the thirty in the past thirty six months has surprised the entire world. He says um, the Bakken quote is the only pure oil play in America for infill child wells up infill child wells uplift and outperform 
that outperformed the parent well in the unit. So this is, we're quoting this from Seeking Alpha. This is their, their transcript, so the words can be a little bit off, but you get the gist. So they also talk about, they have a, a pretty big duck inventory. So they have a lot of drilled but uncompleted wells. So while a lot of companies have really ran through the inventory, um, EOG is one of several other companies have really worked through sort of some of their, their duck inventory that they had over the past couple of years. When oil prices were down, they chose to drill the wells but not complete them. Continental still has a pretty big backlog of this, and they attribute that as to something quite positive that they'll be able to sort of go into in the next couple of years. Um, they also talk about the basically the degree of the performance in both the Bakken and the stack and scoop um, that's enabling Continental to transform itself, quote, quote, transform itself into one of the highest rate returning energy companies in the United States. They are looking to sell non-strategic assets and they are also pushing for cash neutral growth this year. And to this end, they say, quote, the key is a is continuing to raise the number of barrels produced per dollar invested within budget and cash flow. We expect to further improve recent capital efficiency plans due to the unparalleled quality of our assets and depth of inventory. So as I was talking about before, I don't necessarily see this sort of growth talk going away because we still hear operators like this talk about this growth. Now, obviously, they're talking about capital efficiency and these things that the investors are sort of pushing them to talk about it, but it doesn't mean the growth story is quite over yet. And then Continental gets into their exports. Now, they were a big proponent of crude oil ex the, the, um, lifting the ban on crude oil exports along with Pioneer Natural Resources. So they mentioned that, obviously, a lot of folks have mentioned there was over 2 million barrels a day exported um, in October. Um, the recent, the EIA figures show a little less, but those are monthly figures. So we did have a pop of over 2 million barrels a day in October. And that they talk about how they're exporting this Bakken light sweet crude to the, the Asian markets and how they have quite a, um, they're just tasting this and they have a good appetite for this. So that's a positive for Continental. The other thing that they talk about, and this is a little bit um, similar to Mark Pape in Centennial's call, which we'll talk about in a second, is that um, Harold Hamm mentions that some have expressed concern um, about the that the U.S. the shale producers could basically spoil the party um, in overproducing. They Harold Hamm says we just haven't seen this happen, and he he says this because he says the macro environment is improving with moderating production, solid demand growth, and inventories coming down, and that um, we have new takeaway capacity. So the Dakota Access Pipeline is obviously helping their differentials. They have new takeaway capacity out of Cushing, which is that uh, diamond pipeline that is pulling 200,000 barrels a day. So you have some positives that are helping there. But what they mentioned specifically about the EIA, the Energy Information Administration, is that um, their forecasts are overblown, and they 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 call out the EIA um, to correct this problem. So Harold Ham calls out the EIA and says they need to correct their projection forecasting and that they're too high. So at the time of this conference call, um, we, they were looking at August monthly production figures, and at the time, August monthly production figures were sort of flat. We saw this 9.1, 9.2 million barrels a day that had been sort of stagnant for a few months. And so at the time, oil production, if you're looking at EA monthly figures, didn't look great. Um, and most people don't sink their teeth into those weekly EAA figures because they're extremely lumpy and they're not reliable. So he says this needs to be looked at. Now, it, production now, the monthly figure is 9.6 million barrels a day. Oil prices have continued to rise um, despite the, these production gains, but we've had other things happen in Cushing, Oklahoma that's drawn out barrels, particularly that big blowout in Western Canadian select crude that's, that's pulling some of those barrels. So we've had all these events happen. and. We, we mentioned that, that demand growth as well. 
And Harold Hamm really echoes some of this. Then he says that it's it's really refreshing to see the investment community and analysts turn their attention to the macro environment and are rewarding companies that are disciplined in their approach. And they really emphasize their their high quality assets, their their low cost, um, their spend, their efficiency gains, everything that's going on the favor, and how they'll continue to see some of these efficiency gains going forward. And particularly in the Bakken, they are convinced quote that optimized completion technology has expanded and upgraded the economics of our entire Bakken inventory. And this is increasing their, they're basically contacting more reservoir rock and than ever before. And this is increasing their production rates and in turn their recoverable reserve. Now they're confident because they, they did 57 wells in the quarter in the Bakken and with optimized completions. And so they saw this, this result of across a, a wide range. Now, remember the numbers that they talk about and their type curves, they're pretty big in, in their call and they're referencing their, their 24 hour IP. So that's, that's not the, the biggest point, but they're making, they're reiterating the point to the market that they're confident about their type curves and about their improvements in the Bakken. And they still believe that in the early stages of development uh, that they have 1,600 gross operated wells producing um, at the time, and they have 4,000 gross operated Bakken locations remaining in their inventory. So to them, this is decades, uh, over a decade left of in inventory. And you know, they really say the same thing about the stack and scoop, that they had this great performance. Their, their wells are basically over 10,000 feet long. They, um, their oil cuts are higher, that they're in the overpressured oil window, and that really these type curves are looking great and sort of all is well. So really some of the key takeaways on this call to me are that um, the emphasis on the oil differentials as a whole being lower. So seeing better differentials um, out of Oklahoma, but also seeing obviously significant decrease in their differentials in North Dakota because of DAPL. So they were just, um, they were under a $5 differential in North Dakota. That's been a, a huge boon for them and other operators. Um, and then their emphasis on, on efficiency gains that have continued, um, and they're really their uplift in their output and production and how they're, we are seeing some, some pretty impressive wells in the Bakken, and they are definitely one of the contributors to that. And then one of the last things that I'll point out is that, you know, Harold Hamm makes the point to say um, that He's he's aligned with the um, the investment community on on pushing for this uh, return growth or re that these these investors want um, returns from these operators, and he says quote but let me assure you there's no other CEO that's more aligned with the investment community and once again being the largest investor at Continental I'm very I'm a very strong proponent of building shareholder value and he's talking about this directly um, really to some comments about. Um, employee compensation or incentive compensation. Okay, so now we're going to turn to Centennial and talk about them. Now they also had, Centennial Resource Development also had um, a great quarter. Their production was up. Um, they had 13 completions. They moved, they had six rigs running and they moved one of those rigs from Reeves County to Lake County in southern, or in, in southern New Mexico. So there's a note they make up front on their LOE or their lease operating expense. And they talk about that number coming up just a little bit um, quarter over quarter. So from Q2 to Q3, that actually went up. And they attribute that to higher workover and water handling costs. Um, but they do say that they're maintaining their, um, their current full year LOE guidance. And they continue to go on to say that they'll be holding those six rigs flat for the rest of the year. They'll be maintaining their capital expenditure guidance with uh, 60 to 75 wells completed, which is slightly on the higher end due to some of their efficiencies. So they, again, they, six rigs, they, were, they spud 22 wells, they completed three, 
or I'm sorry, the completed 13. Um, they're doing these on three and four wheel pads. So again, this isn't quite like we've seen up with the extensive uh, pads we've seen in the Eagle Ford or the Bakken. Um, we have 16 wheel pads, etc. In the Permian, this is still definitely in development mode. So when we're talking about pads, we're talking about three or four wells on a pad. But it is important to note this lateral length. So they talk about extended laterals being an important part of their future. Um, and they're averaging 5,800 feet right now. So um, Mark Prop says, quote, extended laterals are an important driver for Centennial's future. Our average lateral length for wells completed during the quarter was approximately 5,800 feet and represents a 20% increase uh, from the previous quarter. So this was a comment in their earnings. And there has been questioning over that lateral length. Everybody's really pushing that in the Permian Basin as they, as they build their acreage positions in order to do that. A lot of that's taken place and now we have to see that drive forward with the lateral length. But as we've seen through our analysis and studies, on average lateral length is still around 7,000 feet in the Permian. So it definitely has room to grow longer and it is not solely lateral length that is contributing to, contributing to productivity gains, especially not in the, in the Permian. Okay, so sand. Centennial does make some comments about sand and they talk about self-sourcing their, their sand from local mines over the next three years. So, quote, we've entered into a contract that will supply approximately half of our expected profit needs over the next three years. In-basin and sourcing, in-basin sand sourcing will provide significant savings of 5 to 10 percent of the total well costs. Along with the cost savings, we have optionality on sand supply. Uh, Optionality in sand supply reduces the risk of any potential sand disruption. Our completions team has done significant due diligence to ensure that size and crush strength is sufficient to effectively stimulate the reservoirs. So what they're saying, they've tested the sand, it works. This is a trend. Look to see it continue going forward. I think this is uh, this is definitely a cost saver for, for Continental or for Centennial, and we're going to see this move forward with a lot of other operators. And I think if this works, we're, they, they comment that they'll basically, with success, they'll, they'll use this sand for at least half of their wells in 2018. And then of course, um, as, uh, as Centennial likes to talk about, they say, in addition to our enhanced completion design, we continue to focus on lateral placement. So they're very big on their geosteering, their lateral placement, and their the, the sort of the front end rock science. And they say, quote, year to date, Centennial's in-house geosteering department has steered approximately 60 wells and has re uh, remained in the 30 foot target window of approximately 95% of total lateral length. Not only are we staying in target in the target interval, but we continue to realize drilling efficiencies. During the third quarter, we drilled our record well in 12.6 days, spotted total depth. This was um, a single mile lateral. Okay, so this isn't the this isn't the longest lateral, and this isn't the shortest drilling time on record for across basins. But it is important that this is getting faster, um, and that they it's faster than it was previously. It's not quite a 2.7 day um, spud to total depth that we see in the or in the DJ basin here in Colorado, but it is getting a little faster. Okay. Then they get into profit, and you guys know that I love to talk about frac sand and profit. So they average 2,500 pounds of profit per lateral foot and 15 clusters per stage. This is what they're saying. Um, this they say this represents a 30% increase in the profit per foot and a 70% increase in the clusters per stage over their vintage, so-called vintage completion design used um, during the end of last year. And that they'll continue to refine this design depending on the area in the reservoir basically to maximize investment. That um, that follows in line with, remember that in, in Halliburton's second quarter earnings, they talked about that, that drop um, in sand usage and in profit usage um, in every basin basically outside the Permian. So we'll see if, that, if there is sort of a plateauing or a bit of a pullback in sand usage in the Permian in Q3. Okay, so their goal is to basically become, they say, the best, um, best mid-cap with regards to geosciences and well simulation. That's quote. 
Um, this isn't Mark Papa, but it's, it's before he gets on. Um, and that the long-term, they believe the best technical team, quote, the, quote long-term, the best technical team will recover the most hydrocarbons per lateral foot. I think this is really important because they do emphasize this sort of front-end science and believe that they're ahead of this um, and that they'll be doing this. But it also means that that's how they sort of see the lay of the land for the future. Um, obviously, they're, they're sort of bragging about their, their company and, and their internal um, contributions to this. But it means that the, the companies that are leading this are going to be the ones that are going to be able to drive it home. So they continue to say, quote, overall, the improved completion design, target identification, and accurate drilling has helped to drive higher and more consistent results. And as part of the reason, we are raising our annual production guidance for the second consecutive quarter. So clearly, Centennial Resource Development um, is not outside of this or not inside of this group of folks that are uh, curtailing production. In fact, I don't see a whole lot that are really doing this. And again, I, like I said before, I don't think you can turn that bus just right around, but I think that Centennial is a, it's a younger company. Um, it was one of those, those SPACs, those special purpose acquisition companies um, that grabbed Mark Papa, built, they built this company up, um, and then they turned around an IPO and did the initial public offering. So <clears throat> they're young to say the least, um, and they also have a leader at the helm that can sort of run with this growth trajectory. Okay, so now we get into Mark Papa's comments. The first thing that Mark Papa starts talking about is tepid U.S. production growth. So I'm going to quote this. I think it's important to listen to. Remember, Mark Papa is the former CEO of EOG and now the CEO of Centennial Resource Development. He says, quote, oil markets have recently responded to the combination of high global demand, rapidly reducing crude and product inventories, and tepid U.S. production growth. The last of these items is the most controversial, and I would... I would elaborate a bit on the logic regarding the tepid U.S. growth. Based on EIA, month, EIA numbers, U.S. oil production has been essentially flat for the past seven months, and I expect 2017 year-over-year production growth to be 330,000 barrels per day, much less than early-year consensus estimates of 700 to 800,000 barrels per day, even though the oil rig count is currently 900, an increase of, five, an increase of 500 rigs compared to May 19, 2016. So he goes on to say that many about this lack of tier one geology. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this this lack of tier one geology because I think we've heard it from sort of some banks and investment community folks and, and other some analysts basically talk about this lack of tier tier one um, acreage. But I don't necessarily think they were referring it to as the lack of geology as opposed to you know, cheaper acreage that you can basically drill a decent well and get it for a certain break even. This he's saying is actual tier one geology. So he's saying, quote, many people will describe the reason for this tepid growth to be cash flow or service company limitations. Now, remember, they're, they're in several earnings in the past couple of quarters, we have heard about uh, operators talking about service companies not being too great. Um, and basically, he's saying this isn't happening. So he goes on to say, but I think it's lack of remaining tier one geologic quality drilling locations in two of the three major oil shale plays, the Eagle Ford and Bakken. Even in a constructive oil price environment, I expect that 2018 total U.S. oil growth will be considerably less than 1.2 million to 1.4 million barrels per day that many people are expecting. Okay, so let's just remember that uh, when Continental did their call, it was in, uh, or sorry, I keep saying that when Centennial Resource Development did their call, Brent was at 64.27 and WTI was 57.34. This was on November 6, 2017. Um, and the August EIA figures, as I pointed out in, in the other call, was that they were 9.12 million barrels per day. So just over 9 million barrels a day was the monthly um, EIA production figures. Now, 
that's very different from the current 9.6 million barrels per day. So both Centennial um, and Continental, both Harold Ham and Mark Papa, comment on these monthly figures um, and how they're off. Um, and they also didn't quite have that, that price rise that they did before. So those are two factors that I think could have their trajectory a little bit off um, looking forward. And for these, these reasons, they are remaining unhedged. So they are capturing the upside, unlike several other operators that you can see in our Hedgeware product that have definitely hedged and will be um, not looking quite as robust as their peers that are unhedged that have captured this, this rise in oil prices. And that they are going to continue toward this path of 60,000 barrels per day to 2020. So for this, this is a, their highest four-year oil growth. Or, um, it's a, this is their compounded annual growth rate. Um, basically, they're saying this is the highest of any E&P in a, in a four-year period. Um, and that they are taking, they are also taking tactical means to term up service agreements um, in this, this rising sort of price environment. Okay, and then in the questions, there is some more talk about this this pressure on pricing, and I think it's important to note. So they say that the pressure, I guess, on EMPs is going to be on completion-related activities. Pretty much everything else related to completion activities is where we're going to see that tightness. Um, and so they're focusing on um, terming up these drilling rig, contact, rig contracts. Um, right now, they have short-term drilling rig contracts of six months to nine months and they're, for their average um, and so they're looking at firming those up. And we've heard this sort of echoed through other calls as well. Then they further talk about not, don't look for them to basically go out and, and buy massive amounts of acreage or do um, M&As, um, things like that. They're not, they're looking to be a self-contained, quote, self-contained company right now. It's not that they're not going to buy something if it, if it suits them, uh, but that's not their game plan right now. Okay, and this is a direct quote. So again, this is Mark Papa, this is Centennial, this isn't every other company, they can do this. But he says, quote, we will continue to grow and outspend cash flow, but low debt, um, but they'll have low debt basically, and will likely be close to neutral by 2019. So they are not, um, they're not gonna be free cash flow positive this year. They don't plan on it at all. Um, so those are some of the big, I mean, those are some big themes and big takeaways from this call. I think their comments on service costs, um, the comment on water, they get another follow-up question and they say this is something they're definitely dealing with um, and it's a, it's a big component of their, their LOE. And I think that's, it's important and it is a bit of a concern that we're seeing operators like them have already have issues with this. They need to rein this, the, the water issue in um, because it's a huge component to their, their cost per barrel. And then this tier one geology thing, he's asked about it later in the call and he, he talks about sort of, it's almost like the death of the Bakken and Eagle Ford. Now he doesn't say that, um, but the base, he's basically saying, Mark Proff basically saying that the majority of tier one locations have been drilled up in both the Bakken and Eagle Ford, which I think is interesting because there are some companies really making some strides there. And we did see a kind of a turnaround in the Bakken in this past year. That doesn't mean that the, the best of the Bakken isn't drilled up like he says. It just means that I think some companies are, are doing well. And he even comments that, you know, you're going to have those one-offs that are doing quite well. The other thing on the Eagle Ford is that when you, you look at it and you read through these calls and you think about it, I mean, we're hearing a lot more about the Austin Chalk and, and the, uh, the multi-pay zones and some just some absolutely impressive bang-up wells out of the Austin Chalk from a lot of different companies. But he says that basically even at $70 oil, you could pump a lot of capital into the Bakken and the Eagle Ford and your resulting production growth is, not, is going to be disappointingly low. There's one thing I have I have trouble writing, and I'll, I'll just finish this with this call. Is that is that he talks about the technical competency up front, or the the company talks about technical competency up front, and the ones that are the most technically competent are the ones that are gonna live. 
but then he talks about this lack of tier one geology and and very interesting he says that obviously he doesn't mention the permian in this at all now obviously the permian is a newer play we know it's got stack pay zones but this is sort of left outside of it so it is sort of convenient for centennial to have this this mindset and we have to remember that both Harold Hamm and Mark Papa were talking about EIA numbers that were representative of August figures, not current 9.6 million barrels per day figure as of October. That concludes today's podcast. I want to thank you guys all for listening. It's been a pleasure chatting with you here today, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the future.